Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Stephen. And I'm Helen. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast. Stephen, you have returned from Birmingham. Um, what was Tory party conference like? To be honest, the, the really unnerving, weird thing, right, is that you kind of, you went from one conference where its party grassroots feel they've been given their party back to another place where the uh, grassroots feel they've been given their party back, except for reasons that will, you know, don't really need to be explained. I, f- I found the second one a lot less congenial, right? And also the other, the second lot are in government, right? And it, it's slightly strange because, particularly because, I mean, you have the kind of Tories who are like, but well, I thought then Blair and Brown had just had you like stuffed and mounted somewhere. I thought Cameron had then like thrown these people out. Are on the, I mean, Liam Fox is a significant force in conservative politics again. David Davis is a significant power player. But don't you think that that is the story of both conferences, is a kind of reset of both of the parties to their, not maybe necessarily their default setting, but certainly a much more familiar groove. I mean, so much of Jeremy Corbyn's rhetoric is about, you know, tearing down Tony Blair and what he stood for and what Blairism stood for. And then now you've basically got Theresa May doing the same thing to kind of Cameroon liberalism. Well, yeah, because I mean, I think, one, it's a time of political polarisation. Two, yeah, there, there's something very interesting. And then although Ed Cameron and Nick Clegg did not have a similar politics as, as, as some people would like to pretend, they did all have the kind of look of a fungible white bloke of varying degrees of attractiveness from, you know, Nick Clegg got the, to Clegg. Okay, good. We yeah. were both in the same team of about which way um, that went. But, uh, uh, but now, of course, you have May, Corbyn... And Tim Farron, right? So, like, it's quite a... <clears throat> you get a decent spread, I think, there. Something yeah. for everybody. Here's my thing. So, I, let's let's talk about the speech. I mean, this is kind of... A, you know, we're, we're recording this directly after Theresa May did her speech. I thought it was... We have to go straight to... I have a lot of anger about a lot of other speeches. Okay, go on. Quickly run, run me through your three worst other speeches, or three most memorable other speeches from Tory party conference. Well, I think the, the, the first most memorable one is, is Theresa May's first one, in which... She confirmed what we kind of all knew, but we're all kind of whispering to ourselves that Philip Hammond would somehow save the day, which is the control over our borders is going to be... More important than staying in the single market. Yeah. More, more important than almost anything more, else in politics. Well, yeah, basically, for the, for the first time in the history of, of Britain, and I think actually arguably in an advanced democracy, immigration policy is going to decide trade policy. I can't think of a single other place where you could say that was the case. That is a fairly big and wrenching change. Uh, it is also, in my view, going to be a catastrophic 
one for uh, the economy, the country, the condition of, of minorities of various kinds. Uh, then I think Amber Rudd, particularly because I like Amber Rudd. Amber Rudd is not crazy. And yet Amber Rudd was saying really crazy and awful things. Like, well, here's the thing I think is really fascinating about that conference. It felt so... Um unpluralist what was the opposite of pluralist it you know it just felt like anybody apart from anna subri who has entered the yeah. sort of ken and clark yeah both of whom have entered the kind of ken clark yolo phase of their careers um it just felt that if you were remainy or you were you know in any way sort of single market advocate actually ruth davidson stood up for the single market and she also said grammar schools wouldn't um weren't the right policy for scotland so maybe i can include her in the roll call of honor on that one but it just felt like everyone else just was keeping their mouth shut right this was the new it was it had some of the same triumphalism that i felt i found quite unpleasant at labor conference i sort of kind of slightly gloating sense among the victors that you know that they had not only won but they had crushed their opposition um, so that's two. And then your third highlight, low light? My third highlight. I mean, there must have been something I actually enjoyed, right? Did you um, watch Andrea Leadsom's speech where she said, naan bread, and then like looked around for applause? Yeah, so I enjoyed I enjoyed the Andrea Leadsom speech uh, because, and this doesn't reflect at all well on me, after Brexit, a lot of the lobby decided that unpredictable things would happen and therefore Andrea Leadsom would win. There was no evidence for this, no evidence in the polls, no evidence... In terms, yeah, there was just it was just hard, really hard to support the idea yeah. that Andrea Leadsom was going to win. And then a Conservative Party conference, she could barely fill the hall, and her kind of speech was a bit of a. Meanwhile, a Theresa wet May was like, catnip. and her biggest cheer was mentioning Theresa May. And and you and I mean, talk about tickling people's tummies. Their speech, Theresa May's speech, her Wednesday speech went down. Like, you know, I mean, she kept, actually, it was a problem, it was something that you've identified in previous Corbyn speech, she kept stepping on the applause lines because she wasn't kind of expecting the, the rapturousness of the response. Yeah, no, she was... Okay, yeah, here's my problem, her. right? This is what I think Theresa May has done with this speech today, and I think that this is a quite a common, judging from my Twitter time and lettering view, I don't think, it's not a speech that I liked at all, but it's a speech that I can see is very effective, popular, I think maybe it's an election winner, but it's not an election that I'm looking forward to covering, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um... It was, and I don't, this is going to provoke howls of outrage, but the classical definition of national socialism, I know, I know, I know, I know, I'm talking about it without the third Reichibix, is this sort of assertion that your country is the best, there's some kind of qualities that are unique to it, plus also the state should therefore guard and defend those people and be very interventionist. I thought what was really interesting about May's speech is that it married this kind of muscular state um, and you know, highly interventionist policy with a very hard line on you know who us is, who the people are, who's who's welcome here. Um, a which is kind works of, for everyone with a very heavy asterisk at the end of everyone. That's yeah, they, and there was a very much as kind of them and us feeling about about a lot of it, and migration being the most obvious sign of that. Um, but I just and I and I. I I pause because you know moments of of levity are hard to find here. But all the people who voted for Brexit or campaign for Brexit on the basis it would usher in this sort of great open neoliberal trading nation that was open to the world have now had their chips thoroughly pissed on more so even than kind of the classical left I would say I mean so that is really one of the few crumbs of comfort in this dark time right is laughing at two groups of people one people who think that uh, the Brexit vote wasn't about immigration uh, I mean, if it wasn't, why did you have all those posters about how if breaking we stayed point. in the, the yeah, yeah breaking point? But you know, also in the official the official campaign with its you know eleventy billion Turks will will rock up if we stay in there. What did 
what what did they think that was about? Did they think it was people were worried and I don't know, like there would there would be too much tzatziki in our streets? No, that was because people were demonizing immigrants. You know, and then the other group of people, the other group of people who we have not laughed at enough, Lexiters. If you wanted a left wing exit for the EU, I mean, I would just like to congratulate you on how well your plan is going. I mean, step one is Theresa May is prime minister. Step two is she's trying to bring back grammar schools. Step three is this underpants names is is, is you know is, is is kicking out you know doctors. I mean, guys, you Lists better have a great step workers. four because 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 the steps so far are not filling me with confidence. Is all I am saying. But um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I just feel that's a message. Actually, it's when you say a country that works for everybody. I think actually it's a country that you know it's it's that message was aimed at forty to forty five percent of people. It was aimed at soft UKIP switchers. It was aimed at socially conservative Labour voters in the north of England. I think it's a message with a big electoral constituency that finds that appealing, right? Mm. The other thing I think will be a real test of our profession in the next couple of months is whether or not people report on the the words or the actions. And already I can see them diverging quite strongly. So you're getting all this sort of stuff about, oh, it's Milibandite and all this kind of stuff. Well, the policies are not... If anyone wants to bet, Helen, which which one our industry will do... <laughs> I feel there is some easy money to be made here. But I just really feel like I'm I'm getting ready for six months of being told that, you know, Theresa May is making a bold pitch for the centre ground while she's kind of also, you know, all this stuff that's happening with schools asking people for their, you know, children for their birth certificates or, you know, that kind of stuff about landlords being kind of drafted in as part of the immigration system to check up on people's passports, charities being asked to check that the people who are using their services are, are British citizens. I just think you can either, you know, those two things do not mesh together. And I suspect that we're about to hear an awful lot of hot air about kind of social justice that will not necessarily be backed up by by actions i also think you know one of the important things and uh you cannot build a country and build works for everyone if we are not in the single market right i think and there is an awful lot of delusional behavior not just among people who voted for brexit but people who kind of you know brexit was like a heart attack right you might survive it to be honest it's still an open question whether or not the united kingdom will survive uh, Brexit, but you might survive it, but you're not the same afterwards. And you really need to stop eating butter. And you really need to stop eating and butter. And maybe go for yeah, a run. The, the thing is, like, the, you know, if, if Britain leaves the single market, is like we are not going to have a country which works for everyone. We're going to have a country in which most people are poorer uh, than they they are now, and not just for a short while, but for the foreseeable future. Then this this idea, kind of, then I think then Downing Street wants to have, where you kind of have a bucket of one bucket of Brexit, which the government does, and then a bucket of social reform. No, no, no. There's just the bucket of Brexit. It spills over everything else. It's full of really nasty stuff that no one wants. Right? Brexit is a disaster, and that was the thing I found maddening. Is yeah, this kind of exercise in in in, in yeah, particularly people like Philip Hammond and, and Amber Rudd, who actually did fight to the last ditch to to stop this looming disaster, kind of standing up and kind of going, but now I've realised it's all going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. That's the thing I think has been most interesting, actually. So as I say, I, like the reactions on the left to that speech were pretty united. I think most people found it worrying, but they thought it was very effective. The reactions on the right were kind of more interesting. I mean, obviously, you saw the front pages of the papers today. I mean, the mail love 
loved it, could not have loved it more. Like if tomorrow's Daily Mail is not full of just happy frolicking kittens, then you will know that nothing in the world makes them happy because it was so expertly tailored towards them. But, you know, actually, if you are a, if you are a Daniel Hannan or, a, you know, a free trader or, a, you know, a George Osborne or anyone from that kind of strain of, of, of the right, this was a, you know, this was a great big F you to those people, too. Um, you know, I saw um, Alex Wickham, who I think is a person I've ever previously agreed with about anything, saying that he found, it, you know, it was an unpleasant kind of pastiche of everything that Remainers paint Brexiters as being. Um, so that's, I think that's more of an open question. I think I'm pretty sure I know how the, the left feels about Mayism as a pitch. I'm more interested to know how the right generally feels about it. I mean, yeah. obviously, as you say, the grassroots lapped it up, like the people in the hall loved it. I think the other interesting thing about all of this, right, is that the way she is channeling Miliband is it's actually a 35% strategy, right? So Ed's plan was you held on to the 28% Gordon got. And you added to that the votes of the flatlining Lib Dems, and bam, you're in office. And basically, Theresa May's electoral strategy is it's not a pitch for the common round, it's a pitch for not just UKIP voters, but Labour voters who are flirting with UKIP, mm. Labour voters in Wales who vote Labour in the constituencies, UKIP on the list, Tory voters who, yeah, were, were UKIP in the 2014 Euros, or are UKIP in parliamentary election. It's basically, you know, a, a 40 I think it's a higher percentage than Miliband, which is why um, it might succeed when Miliband doesn't fail. Yeah, because I mean, that's the thing. It's like, obviously, Ed, Ed fell, fell short by four points. Falling short of four points at 44% is still quite terrifyingly good for the Conservative Party in terms of the parliamentary arithmetic. But the, the, the problem Ed had is it turned out that actually that, that base of support, it turned out, was not a base. Mm. Actually, there were people who liked uh, Gordon Brown who who he could not guarantee the support of. And I think one of the fault lines, uh, not to foreshadow our next sentiment, but one of the fault lines is I think she may discover that the appeal of Cameron is underrated. Well, I think that's an interesting thing because so the line that got the most applause in the hall was the kind of, you know, and the labour of the new nasty party, which if you're a Tory activist is exactly what you want to hear, right? But I was thinking this this morning, you know, the great success of UKIP was essentially to launder anti-immigration sentiment through the prism of Europe. Because actually, I don't think most people in Britain want to feel that they're voting to be beastly to benefits claimants and, and immigrants actually they want you know they will they will stop it like tough but fair and I worry that although it didn't seem like it as in every individual speech actually when you put them all together it began to look a little bit I, I imagine them kind of looking and thinking actually have we gone slightly too far here this is just maybe a bit too much there were a lot you know uh, there were lots of um references to you know our homegrown brits and our own our own people and those kind of things which you know you can't pick them out one by one and i think you will well, you know if i say this on twitter i'll get all kinds of right wingers howling at me for being you know over oversensitive but the kind of accretion of them began to make you feel like oh hang on a minute okay this is where we're going on this is it yeah and i think yeah, I think actually, and just as with the, you know, in the Ed era, I think there was a failure to appreciate what the kind of tonnage of the things you were saying added together that made people feel, you know, that people agreed with the mansion tax, they agreed with 50p, they agreed with the energy price fees, but it kind of came together and they were like, oh, I think you're going to tax me next. I think there is definitely a risk to them that that will happen. 
But that's what it felt like. It felt like she gets so much more credit for saying when they say things like, you know, the Tories have raised spending on the NHS, you know, because that's playing against the kind of type. And you can do it with a kind of wink that says, oh, don't worry, we're still very fiscally responsible, but we're going to be nice about it. Whereas Labour's problem always is people think that they're going to be nice. They just think they're going to be kind of spendthrift. But there were so... It's that thing of you're already accentuating something which is an existing perception in your mind, which is why I think, you know, the poshness thing was so problematic for David Cameron because it it was building on foundations that had already been laid, something that kind of already appealed to people. When you're fighting against a narrative, it's it's harder for that perception to stick. Yeah. Um, Do you think that it was the best Tory leadership? I mean, in terms of, do you think it will cut through? Do you think the clip of it on the ten o'clock news or on Magic FM or whatever, uh, you know, is going to is going to reach people? I don't think it will because one of the things about it is that what was its message, right? The, so the, the message that was briefed and the, the message that is duly being reported by, by by a lot of the printers is, oh, I'm 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 reaching out to the centre ground. But what was the kind of one liner? that was new or about the centre ground. I was surprised at how that there wasn't any policy in it. And they mm. said that this was a very deliberate thing, that they just actually, they, they wanted this to be a, an articulation of her vision. But the trouble is that policies are the demonstrable, you know, they're your principles in practice, right? And then, so you can kind of say, you know, I mean, like the way that George Osborne used tax avoidance every time he wanted to say, look, I'm not too soft on the rich and that's why we're going after X, Y, you know, and that's why I'm going after Google or whoever. There was a one very coded kind of attack on Facebook for not cooperating on terrorism, another one on Philip Green for the pension fund at BHS. But there were no, there was no naming names and, um, and sort of taking people down. So I think that's, that's, that will make it quite hard to up some. I mean, maybe that was their plan. They just wanted the headline just to be Theresa May makes pitch for centre ground. And I'm sure they will get some of those headlines but yeah there's not a lot of depth to it anyway we'll return to this in a a longer version of you asked us in a minute Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And together we host the New Statesman's pop culture podcast, Seriously. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can get this episode and everything else we've done on newstatesman.com forward slash S-R-S-L-Y. Now it's time for a section we call You Ask Us, in which you ask us questions. To be honest, uh, a lot of them could really be described as howls of despair. Yeah, they're more like sort of how, why, where can we go? Um, I can answer a couple of ones very quickly. Where is Jeremy Corbyn? We had thought that he was uh, up by Hadrian's Wall, where he bought his wife some upcycled knitwear. But he um, he has just released a statement saying that the speech um, was fanning the flames of of xenophobia. So I think that there was a feeling among the kind of Labour activists that they wanted a, a strong condemnation of some of the um, rhetoric on migration, and they've got that. So that's that one. I've answered that very quickly. Here's one that I think is really interesting. What are the weaknesses in May's vision? If you're the Labour leader and you're trying to attack it, where do you go on it? I mean, so I think there are a couple of, of, of fairly big vulnerability points. The first, and of course the slight problem with this, is that the Labour leadership also doesn't want to stay in the single market. But, you know, as I said earlier on, if you want to leave the single market, you can't build an economy that works for everyone, right? Those those two aims are absolutely incompatible, right? And I, I honestly don't know what the political consequences will be of the, the recession that I think will be triggered. 
either when we leave or when it becomes apparent to enough of business in the markets and we in fact are going to leave the single market. That's typical Ramona thinking, Stephen. Yeah, what I think can you'll I say? find that we're going to become a great trading nation. My problem with all of that is that I, I think still it would be really interesting to see how it shakes out. But I just think I, anyone trying to call it either way is at the moment is risks absurd either early pessimism or triumphalism, right? I just think it's all so hard to read. Anyway, that doesn't answer the but, question of how do you attack the Theresa May speech. So, so I think one this is, but, but also, actually, in lots of ways, I mean, I, I don't really buy this idea and she's put tanks on Labour's lawn, but let's roll with it for a second. The, the, the brilliant thing about someone putting tanks on your lawn, lawn is it's a home fixture, right? And unless you're, you know, I don't know, like Aston Villa, you, you mostly win your games at home, right? That's like... Yeah, you, the the point of a you know in an election campaign, what you basically want is you want to draw the issues which are you're not comfortable with or minimise them so they aren't. An issue. Yeah, if you're Labour, you want people to argue about the NHS and who's better for the NHS because people here the NHS is a very important issue, and then they the kind of baseline is that people assume that Labour is better on the yeah. NHS. If someone you know so in you know it's brilliant news for the Labour Party to have. A conservative prime minister who says the the really important thing is helping everyone get on, and their solution to that is a schooling system, which or well, one in five children from a low income family will get into a grammar five, statistically. Yeah, and and also which has just been discredited by every serious thinker to look at it. I mean, as far as the case for grammar schools, they are we are dangerously close to that. You can have your own opinions, but you can't have your own facts. Well, I think that's um, one that's definitely, as we saw from last week's Labour conference, is a, is a productive space for Labour to attack. I mean, they've got that good line, segregation, segregation, segregation. And it's something that they, I think they're fighting kind of a slightly, quite an intelligent campaign about why it's not, you know, rather than doing it as, I think too often Michael Gove was able to paint it as the kind of vested interest of the teaching profession against parents. And Labour haven't kind of walked into that trap on on the way they frame their argument on grammar schools. They framed it actually about parents not getting choice, like less choice in the school system. Yeah. Um, so that's quite effective. OK, let's move on to the next one. If um, J- Jeremy Corbyn became a centrist overnight, is there any space for him left after May's speech? So somebody, I think we probably kind of covered that in our belief that it wasn't a particularly centrist speech. But Yeah, I mean, I also think, like, values are really important in politics, and they're an important part of how you get your platform, which is how you... But, but actually, for people who, who really care about, you know, who decide elections, it's competence, right? Because if you say, people kind of know that if they have a choice between competence and fairness, right, they'll choose competence because they know you can't have fairness if, you, if you're not competent, right? You can't successfully make things fair. But if, I don't. So, I'm, so if, 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 even if you were, if, even if it was this miraculous centrist speech, which I don't accept, but let's roll with the idea yeah. it is. Well, then the fight would just be about. But we're better at we're better at this. It becomes a, a question of valence rather than of values. My issue is, and I think um, Duncan Weldon, who used to be the economic secretary at Newsnight, has made this point today. I wonder if we're not moving into a sphere where identity trumps economics. I mean, you can see it with the support for Scottish independence. You know, every again, every respected economist thinks that. Scottish independence would make Scotland a poorer country. But there are people clearly for whom either they don't believe that or they don't mind because they want this, they want an independent Scotland so much that they're willing to take that hit. And I think for I think it's one of those things also that's a kind of cruel double edged standard for Labour. Labour have to be really, really competent. But actually you're seeing a Conservative Party that's just picked a massive fight with business. Um, but we'll probably kind of get away with that, or get certainly get a much easier ride. I saw, um, you know, Rob Peston tweeting about Philip Hammond doesn't have, 
you know, hasn't come up with you know kind of new borrowing rules right after having ditched the surplus target and he's that's kind of been kind of hand waved away because obviously we all know that the conservatives are fine and can be trusted on the economy yeah but equally i don't think we are in an era where identity is going to trump, trump economics because so to take the scottish example mostly if you voted yes you you just you weren't convinced that you would be worse off there was a small core of people who were saying i'm willing to be worse off in the short term or i'm willing to be worse off forever to have have you know have my freedom and there are people like that in the Brexit debate. Mm. But actually, the big variable was not a dislike of immigration. Depressingly, most British voters, including close to half of people who voted Remain, would prefer immigration to go down. The big variable was if you voted Remain and disliked immigration, you were convinced that it couldn't be done in a way which wouldn't leave you being poorer. But I think the, 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 the difficulty is, is that people will continue to believe they're not going to get poorer until they actually... Demonstrably oh, poor. feel poor. Well, that was that great research by Philip Cowley, wasn't it? Where he asked that, how much would you be personally be willing to pay to to cut immigration? And actually, even twenty five quid, you know, people weren't just weren't. But then you're right. I just think that, and because of the way that the, you know, it's it, it's it's such a diffuse impact on people. Like it's not like a penny on income tax where you can just see that your you know the amount you're getting in your pay packet has gone down. The effect of Brexit will be much more kind of ambient than that. It's going to be quite hard to persuade people that that's definitely the cause rather than anything else. Let's move on. I think this one's really interesting. Uh, this is from Tom Wilson. Of everything announced or hinted at, what will Theresa May have the most trouble getting Tory MPs to back? Because there were a couple of moments from the speech amidst the rapturous applause where there was kind of slightly stony silence. She talked about um, how great the NHS was and there was a kind of brief <laughs> smatter of applause. Um, but, I mean, realistically, can you see any of the stuff? I mean, again, it was a very policy-light speech that one but of the other stuff i think she's i think there will be a problem with this idea of lists of foreign workers because i've seen quite a few tories grumbling about that and amber rudd herself seemed to be rowing back from it slightly on the today program this morning well i think even in the in the awful speech they they suggest it as an, an awful idea they might do uh, i i it, it won't happen um yeah i think partly because the really striking thing about that is is the bits of the business lobby which kind of try and couch all of their objections to everything either the government or the opposition does in a kind of, well, we'd prefer it if you didn't shoot us in the head kind of way, had already gone into the full-on, if you shoot us in the head, you better not miss, because we are going to come for you. We, so it, I, I think that won't happen, but not because of the Conservative Party. I actually am going to have a slightly counterintuitive one, which is grammar schools. What I thought was interesting is that also didn't get a particularly good response in the hall. It is so unpopular among, yeah, I know this is, you know, a very Remain, a liberal elite argument, but everyone who knows anything about education policy is against it. Yeah, I mean, you've got people very much on, you know, the Govians, basically, who are still quite powerful and also quite crafty um, against it, which I think is, is potentially a bigger problem. OK, I've got more questions, but I think we should go to another break. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And I'm John. And we host Skylines, the city metric podcast, where every two weeks we talk about cities, maps, and the human world. Whether the Olympics are good for cities, what it's like to be a woman in a city, and we've had guests like Lauren Elkin, Caroline Criado-Perez. And Neil Codlin, keyboard player from Suede, because I'm nearly cool now. Tune in on iTunes or on Acast. Check it out. 
And we're back for yet more You Ask Us. I've got another one, Stephen, um, which I think... <laughs> I think this is someone trolling us, but I think it's a good question anyway. Comparing Corbyn and May's rhetoric and policies, will this push Corbyn sceptics like yourself over to his side? I mean, the problem, right? <laughs> the problem with, with, with people like that, okay, is ultimately people on the left who think that Corbyn is not going well do not think, oh, isn't Theresa May wonderful, Right? They think, oh, when it comes to it, this government, which is eminently beatable for many reasons, right? One, you cannot... Yeah, what, what are the pressure points to hurt the government? Staying in the single market. He doesn't want to do that. Um, that's before the fact that people think he's incompetent and won't keep them safe, right? So even in a crisis, I find it hard to see that people will... Um, yeah, I mean, one of, one of the reasons why the left loses so often is this inability to understand the difference between someone going, this isn't working, and I don't want this to work. Yeah, I think there's a great deal of projection. I mean, I will find quite often that I will tweet something that's a bit, that somebody in the Corbyn team has said, and people will attack me, and you'll be like, well, no, I mean, I mean, I, I know I think this is a bad thing, but that's not, that's not, I'm not, I'm not creating that. It is yeah. something that you actually yourself disagree with, but you kind of can't reconcile that with your with your general belief in the in the project. Um, and I, you know, I think that's, I think that is a kind of a, a, a tough thing. I have got more. I have more. I have one more question. Um, how likely does an early election look now post Conservative conference? Asked Noel Davis. Um, I, I think significantly less likely. One because if you spend any time talking to uh, people around Theresa May, the word which keeps coming, two words they love using, honesty and loyalty, right? Those are really important values uh, to them, which is why most of the people who work at Downing Street are people who have served the Conservative Party for a long time. So when they say there won't be an election, I actually would take it more seriously than a lot of Mm -hmm. other people. The second thing, and the thing they have done very quietly, partly because very few people really care about Northern Ireland, which is a bit bleak when you think about it, is they have wooed the DUP very effectively, right? That is eight extra votes. So suddenly that majority looks a little bit more comfortable. So Arlene Foster was at Tory conference, as I understand it, and Gary Gibbons written a very good blog on this on the Channel 4 News website. And there is some sort of... To me, sounding a very hokey sounding idea about you might have kind of automatic customs tracking so that, you know, even if we don't aren't part of a customs union, you wouldn't have to have essentially border control points and customs checking on that border um, with the Republic. I think there does sound to be a lot. But I don't know. I mean, this again, I think Ireland is just such a huge sticking point, you know, um, if you're in fantasies of leaving the single market and also stopping free movement of people. Um, I just think there's going to become a... I don't know. I just don't know if you're the Conservative Party, how you fashion a way of saying, oh, of course we're fine with Irish people being here, um, but don't apply the same thing to, to Polish people or Romanians without kind of getting yourself into some very, very tricky wording about what kind of immigrants are good immigrants and what kind of immigrants are bad immigrants, right? Because that's the, that's the problem. It's fundamentally, oh, no, and people from Ireland are good immigrants. I like We like them. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that is a, is a, a lingering problem, and their assiduous wooing of the DUP is going to help them out yeah. enormously. There, I, I think I, I'm not sure if this was the same question or slightly different. I think the thing is about the argument about whether or not they need or they ought to have a separate mandate, right? I, I personally feel very strongly they 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 really ought to have to go and get their own electoral mandate. This is a completely different government. The personnel is very different. The policies are very different. 
However, every poll, and indeed it feels to me every conversation with a non-political person, backs up what Downing Street thinks, which is that people are tired of elections. They had to vote in a referendum, they had to vote in local elections, they had to vote in a general election last year. They don't want to have to vote again, right? People don't like elections. Um, so the difficulty is, is I think that a lot of people will say, you really ought to have to have an election. A lot of people will quite rightly share the Theresa May article she wrote when Gordon Brown became Prime Minister, saying he needed to have an election. But people won't care. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's about, like, like yeah. we had this conversation about Europe and about all the people who are really pro-Europe, but actually do they really, really care enough that this is going to become their fixation in the way that leaving Europe was for, for UKIPers over the last 10 years? Um, yeah, I think we're in a really interesting time in politics. I think if I were... Okay, if you're Theresa May, who's the person you're most scared of? Because my answer to that, I think, at the moment is George Osborne. Mm, no, Boris. She humiliated him, which I think is a really fascinating thing. So her very first gag in the speech was, you know, I come here with questions to answer. And one of them was, can I keep Boris Johnson on message for the next four days? And people love that. David Davis was rolling around laughing. But I'm really (coughs) not sure that Boris is as good at laughing at himself as that joke would presuppose. So, okay, I will give you, I will give you Boris Johnson might be... I think Boris did a couple of things. I mean, one, I, you know... I feel enough people say Boris uh, is an underrated operator and he is now just a rated operator, so I won't say that. But um, he did some very clever things at Conservative Party Conference and indeed since uh, being appointed to the Foreign Secretary, right? He knows that part of his brand and appeal is that whole kind of walrus, walrus kind of thing. Yeah. But he also knows he has to be slightly more serious now and he has to show he is ready to be Foreign Secretary and potentially Prime Minister. What he what he did in his speech this time is he kind of did a a walrusy speech that became less and less walrusy as it went on. From walrus to Churchill. Yeah, and became yeah he kind of became more. And you know if and you know this is where I'm going to be remoning again, but my anticipation is a couple of things will happen. One, we will we will have probably the the hardest version of Brexit available, partly because of the things we want, partly because of the need, particularly in France for Marine Le Pen not to be able to say, look what a great deal you get when you leave the EU. Um, Obviously, if Marine Le Pen does actually become president, then we'll all have bigger problems. Uh, But uh, the economy will not be in a good state. We'll go into another recession. People will be feeling a bit miserable. People will want to be cheered up. And then suddenly Boris becomes quite lethal because he's quite attractive to the Tory party. You can see how it's attractive to the country. Also, just as we will cling more to Trident as a kind of virility symbol. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. He is our Kim Kardashian. He, you know, he is our, or our Prince George. You know, he's one of those... He, he's a, he's brand Britain. Okay. Well, um, that's our predictions made. Let's hope they've been better than some of our other predictions. Um, and that is all from You Ask Us. But you can always tweet us at Stephen KB or at Helen Lewis. Or you can leave um, photoshopped fan art on Stephen's Facebook page. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast, presented by Helen Lewis and me, Stephen Bush, and produced by India Bork. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.